What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. fans how you doing it's your boy john of the macri with you for another episode of the Knicks film school podcast and boy do we have a jam-packed edition for you today um it's a two-for-one episode and we are going full new york tabloids for you specifically the new york post um you know, I know they, you know, not all Nick fans always appreciate uh, the post, but uh, I've been reading them for God knows 30 years and we got two really, really, really good ones today. Uh, first and foremost, uh, your own Weitzman, who you may know from this podcast. He's been on it. Um, also author of Tanking to the Top, a book that came out last year about the Sixers is excellent. Um, he, I believe, made his New York Post debut on Tuesday, and he wrote a tell-all, behind-the-scenes look at the Leon Rose front office that is just, I mean, you got to read it. Uh, there's some great stuff in there. There's some frightening stuff in there, um, and I get into it with your own we have a really good conversation. I actually just finished it a few minutes ago with him. Uh Fantastic stuff. You'll get some stuff that was not in the piece um, if you have already read it. So stick around for that. That's coming up first. And then what would a post-centric podcast be without the one and only Mark Berman, also a returning guest of this podcast? Um, we talk, we bounce around a few different topics that I should note that that conversation was recorded um, before your uh, own piece dropped. We we my, I spoke to Mark on Monday, and um, we get into some different stuff. We get into some trade stuff. Um, he has um, a couple interesting notes. He, Mark is always great. Mark always is good to drop a few nuggets out of nowhere where you're like, oh, I didn't see that one coming. Um, but he does. So just absolutely fantastic stuff and um it's a lot and i am going to stop talking because you're going to be much more interested in what those guys have to say than anything i have to say so uh without further ado first stop my conversation with your own weissman and then of course be sure to stick around after that for my conversation with mark berman joining me now on the next film school podcast he is an author of the best NBA book I read last year. And quite frankly, it's probably the best NBA book or book period. I mean, what else do I read? I don't read about anything else. Best book <laughs> I read in a long time, tanking to the top. If you haven't read it yet, go out and do yourself a favor and get it. And also now I can say the author of the definitive piece on <laughs> the Leon Rose Knicks era. Uh, long, long live it in in uh, in in all its glory. Uh, your own, Weisman. Your own. How you doing, my man? I'm good, buddy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Well, thank you for doing this. Um, yeah, it was funny. I was thinking the other day, I'm like, it's been over a year. Someone's going to drop it. Man, it's going to be Ian. <laughs> is it going to be Mark? Is it gonna, maybe Vork? Maybe Steph comes out. Maybe your old, old, uh, you know, com- compadre Bleacher Report, Howard Beck. And nope, from the top rope, from the rafters, <laughs> your own comes in just like that. Uh, you know, it's Tuesday morning. What's what's this? And here it is. Um, you, you had to know this was going to blow up, right? Uh, yeah, I like to think my radar is pretty good in terms of um, when I had. Well, it, so we, we're crossing two things. I like to think my radar is pretty good for when I, you know, have something that's interesting and insightful. And you combine that with the fact that this is as buttoned up a front office as I can remember in recent memory. Like, so, you know, I always compare things back to the Sixers. And I mentioned this in my piece, right? One of the things Sam Hinkie got, Sam Hinkie got killed for not talking to reporters. Sam Hinkie talked to reporters a lot off the record. Um, hmm. We talked to him a lot on background. Leon, maybe he's doing that to some people. I don't know. I don't want to say he's not talking off the record with people. I not to do me. Not, yeah, <laughs> I do not get the feeling that, and it's also different now with the pandemic, right? There's less yeah. chit chat. Um, you're not like running into people um, sidelines, but I do not get the feeling that he's doing much of any type of communication with any reporters. Um, so yeah, so I figured combining, you know, I had some good insight and some good, you know, I'll call it anecdotes or nuggets, whatever phrase, scenes, and you combine that with the button up nature. And I thought it was kind of revealing. So yeah, I had a feeling it would do well. It's nice to see that. Um, the post did a really good job and gave it to an audience that was really interested in reading this stuff too. So that was nice. Who would have, Nick fans an interested audience about what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Right. Shocking, <laughs> right. Um, this was, let me just first say, aside from the stuff and we'll get into it in a bit, this was a great, a great bit of reporting. Um, I shouldn't say bit. This was, I, I mean, how can I ask how long you've, you've been working on this for? Um, trying to think how I can answer this. Um, you know, I, 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 if, like, if, if you can't answer it, yeah, 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 no, I, you know, I'm, I'll say since Leon Rose came, right. doesn't mean the specific story, right. Sure. Like I'm just kind of always, um, reporting on NBA stuff and especially ones, you know, a few teams more than others, Knicks, Sixers, Nets, teams in my backyard, or if other things pop up my radar, um, so, yeah, so, you know, little by little, I would say the reporting, I guess, really dates back, let's say, till, you know, around May, June is when it started, right? As okay. opposed to specifics on the piece, that would be, I don't know, you know, more recently in terms of when deciding, hey, let's put something out here. Um, so it's interesting. Since when Rose got hired, I think he, he took the picture in the Tarrytown gym of him in like the, the sweater and the, the <laughs> suit and like all the jokes about like, Oh, it's Tony Soprano, you know, and he's going to, you know, and Nick, you know, myself and other Nick fans would kind of banter about like what, what behind the scenes must look like. And like, <laughs> you know, threatening, like, ah, oh, you know, get this free agent in here. We'll make an offer. He can't refuse and this and that. And it was a joke. And you paint this picture of a front office that I'm not sure we were all that far off <laughs> with <laughs> I mean, I'm being a little facetious, but not really. Um, can I just ask, like, what – zoom out. You've covered the NBA as intimately as anyone for a very long time. Do you come away from this feeling like, okay, this is a good front office? This is a strange front office? This is a what, – what do you what – what is your takeaway from your own reporting? By the way, my wife left her cell phone here and has it going off. Do you want me to plug? We can keep going. I can talk oh, over fine. it if you don't hear it. Okay. I, I don't even um, hear it. <laughs> okay, perfect. This is, we'll do this fluidly. Um, okay, so that's a good question, right? So the editorializing of it is interesting, right? So like my opinion, yeah. Um, it's definitely, 
I like the word eclectic, right? It's an eclectic group. Ooh. And Westwood, def- Worldwide West, I'd say West. I feel like, you know, he's West to everybody in the NBA world. Um, so I'll call him West, even though I've never met the man. Um, he's probably not going to uh, listen to this. So it's. Yeah. <laughs> he brings a, uh, he definitely brings a unique, which we can get, I'm sure we'll get into. He brings a uniqueness. I made up word or a distinct personality. Um, yeah. Okay. So my, so there's a couple ways to look at it, right? I find the story in this reporting ends up being like a Rorschach test for Knicks fans. Like you see what you <laughs> want to see, right? So I'm more of a cynic. I grew up a Knicks fan. I'm no longer a Knicks fan. Not because like, you know, as I, as I got older, just kind of, you know, you start reporting more around the team. It was like, you know, you take that hat. I took that hat off. Also, I'm like, you, you know, I saw you decide you saw the sausage was made and you were, into the sausage, I saw how the sausage was made and said, this is disgusting. I want no part of this. Um, <laughs> I don't so, blame you. Yeah, okay. So, but I, you know, I like to feel like I have a good feeling, good read on Knicks fans and Knicks fandom and Knicks-dom and all that. Um, and I was a cynic growing up and I'm a cynic as a reporter. And I would say maybe my opinion, some of the processes here might not be great, right? If you talk about processes versus results. So like in the story we have, you know, the quickly examples, an example mm-hmm. of... Um, Wes doing something right, right? He knew something, saw something, had some inkling, whatever it would be that others did not and was able to see Emmanuel quickly. Like, you know, I'm always hesitant to jump to conclusions after six months of, or three months, excuse yeah. me, half an NBA season. Let's wait for the scouting reports. But, but quickly is clearly, um, was clearly a really good pick at 23. No matter what happens, what he becomes, even if he becomes a backup point guard, right? right. It's still a good pick at 23. I also had reporting that he was pushing Nick Richards a lot. Maybe Nick Richards is good, right? But, you know, if they reached and grabbed him early, not so good. So it's kind of like at what point and like at what point are we filtering and how are these decisions being filtered? Um, so I'm a little more cynical on some of this in terms of the processes. The counter would be, and like the Thibodeau stuff is a great example, right? Like, and I'm also would say, you know, maybe Thibodeau, it's a lot to take internally of him kind of constantly banging on the wall saying, banging down the door saying, win, 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 give me, give me this. Mm-hmm. The counter would be, no, no, this is the time, like this is the front office heck of work with because they're so close and there's such a deep relationship that Leon Rose can say, okay, we hear you. We're going to ignore you. You go coach the team. We're not going to give you anybody you want. Derek Rose, four months later, we'll give him to you and it will be fine. We'll all still get along. You'll mold the team into his great defense that's competing um, and we'll be good and everything's copacetic and that works and that's the optimist view. Again, I'm not so sure. Um, so you asked me like my, my view on it. Uh, it's funky. Um, I don't necessarily love the processes of it. Um, There's a separate conversation too. I also believe, and we'll probably talk about this. Like, I think the Julius, it can't be overstated how much the Julius Randall's emergence changes the whole oh. picture and equation in terms of like, if you start looking at what they have and if this is legit what he is, it changes everything where it's like, okay, we got our luck. Now we're in a good position here. So that it could end up being the answer to the question right there. Well, it's and I think it's it's Randall. And again, it's wait and see. You said it. It's a wait and see on quickly. I think it's a wait and see on Randall, too. Randall, to me, I'm curious your opinion. Randall, to me, feels a little bit more real just because we've seen evidence of the skill set for years with him. And it's now it's a matter of like maybe the mental part of it, maybe the an effort thing. But like quickly to me, it's again, it's 30 games at this level you know, the floater is like, he's going to need to develop some counters, but between those two things, that's a, not a bad start for a front office to have. Right. Correct. And so and quickly, they deserve credit. Randall's lucky part. That wasn't there. I mean, they might say, you know, Kenny, they brought Kenny Payne in to work with Randall. I mean, again, if so, Randall 
Randall showed up in shape. Like he had to either Kenny Payne got him in shape in four days or he was working before Kenny Payne got hired. Right. Like the timeline yeah. doesn't fit in terms of when he, when he was hired. Um, yeah. To me, the Randall thing, it's just, again, so it's going to come down to the shooting, right? It's like an oversimplification, but if the shooting is real, then he's a legitimate number two guy, like, yep. and, you know, like number two star. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we have our, you know, you're holding on the board. We have the number two, we have a bunch of picks and we have cap room and we have RJ's looking better, you know, and guys yeah. like that. And then it's something where you have something where if Randall's not that changes the entire equation. And so sometimes what happens, right? Sometimes it takes a little more luck or, you know, I mean, Scott, like there've been plenty of people writing about how Scott Perry's group maybe hit something on Randall. Um, they saw something probably made other mistakes, but yeah, it's interesting. Well, we're going to get to Perry in a bit. And, and Wes, before we get there though, I, I think it, it'll be interesting for Nick fans. If, if you can, because again, you've covered the NBA for so long. Um, and I don't think I, I'm speaking for myself. I don't have a great idea of what a quote unquote normal NBA front office looks like, how they operate, how they go about their business. It seems like Leon Rose's desire here was to get a bunch of people who he respects individually and in what they bring to the table and trust in his own ability to, you know, be the adult as the kids are maybe like throwing things at the table at one another um, and and organize it and coalesce it into, you know, uh, something that's greater than the whole. Is that, well, first of all, is that an, do you think that's an accurate description? And second of all, is that something that you feel like other front offices do, or is this more an outside the box thing that he's trying to go for? I hear you. It's a tough. Okay. So there's a couple of things. First, the West the West dynamic, that's the major difference. Like that, there's no comparison in other front office to the West dynamic and the West Leon Rose dynamic, which you can literally like, you know, you could write a book about those two and how what that means to modern NBA, right? That would take to like to tell that story of the Leon Rose West relationship and who works for who almost, right? And who's helped who more and like the back and forth and stuff like that. You're due for another it, book. I'm throwing um, it out there. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, no, it's interesting. Right. So it's like, that's the part that is not comparable. Right. Um, other people, you know, people often rely on people they know. I would say the relationships here are deeper than like, I know this person, especially between the main. F- so Wes and Leon, again, that's well-documented. Anyone listening to this is going to know that. Um, it's 30, Leon. 30, how many years? Whatever. goes back. Going to back yeah. Going back to yeah. Philly areas. Right. Like, so it's, they basically pulled each other up. Like you can't untangle like who helped you. Like they've pulled each other up the ladder. Um, um, Leon and Wes, excuse me, Leon and Thibodeau, everyone listening, this knows Thibodeau says he knows Wes, you know, that was since an opening press conference that Wes has been involved for years. The Brock Aller part is, that little, I didn't was, know you, yeah, that's that interesting. you wrote that. That was fascinating. Yeah. So that, and that was interesting. I found it interesting. Cause that was sort of like people on the outside and inside the NBA around the NBA were like, wait, what Brock hours when Leon Rose gets hired, everyone thinks his first hire is going to be on the, and this name was thrown out by Steph Bondi that I'm using him as an example, right? If it's yeah. like Elton Brand, right? And Elton Brand, that guy is going to come and be his GM, right? Like a guy like that. I don't know who else, who the other example would be. A guy's like that. We're like established big time GM that even casual fans have heard of. And that's going to be the guy that they bring in and he's going to be the GM. And instead they hire, first hire, and it wasn't the GM, but first hire, Brock Aller. Everyone, yeah. Or Wes, everyone assumed to be the first hire, right? First hire is Brock Aller. And most people are like, who? Right. I didn't know who Brock Aller was. A lot of people <laughs> around the NBA us. didn't know who Brock Aller was. Um, you know, <laughs> so much like to even I, I I had learned what Brock Aller looked like today. Right. When I saw first, his picture. First picture I've 
seen from that actually yeah and i'll give you like the editor sent me is this brock allard i'm like honestly i do not know (laughs) like i'm seeing this like this guy has been behind the seat you know he was a dan gilbert i mean your your listeners read this stuff they know um so him and leon rose and most of this reporting at first had him and leon rose as being some sort of relationship via cleveland days and leon rose and jr smith and caa and dan gilbert Uh but and i don't know exactly how it started but brock Allard worked for dan gilbert in detroit detroit uh, mogul and that's where west spent a lot of time um, and there's some sort of deep connection there as well. So Brock Hour is part of like that family too. Brock and Thibodeau, the two, I mean, I'm sure we'll get to this, like who are, I don't believe they have that sort of deep seated relationship. It doesn't mean they have an issue, but I don't believe those two are the same, like what everyone else is like goes back years. Um, so in terms of that, that's a little different compared to the other front offices. I do think, and I wrote about this, like Leon's communication is not great, you know, um, which has not been great with fans <laughs> or has not been great internally. Like, you know, it's okay for teams like the Toronto Raptors, let's say now, right? In their situation, they'll have internal debates. Hey, should we restart or should we keep going? Like that's these sort of philosophical debates about direction of teams. That's a very normal thing to happen. And you want different views in the room. For that to happen between certain people, um, four months into all being hired, brought in by a new president, that's a little strange, right? And I think, again, that's different. Uh, most people come in, president, team president comes in, he's going to hire people. Everyone's on the same page. Hey, yeah. this is what we're doing year one. This is the goal. This is that. doesn't mean they're going to tell that to everybody in the room, like front office staffers or scouts. Like They could be kept in the dark. And Leon might be communicating that stuff to his core group of executives. Um, but clearly, there was some sort of disconnect. Um, so that, that part's a little different. And again, the West part is just, you can't compare it. Like in terms of the allegiances and Kentucky, his personality, the connections to Kentucky, it's his first MBA job. Um, and he's a senior, what's his senior executive vice president slash senior advisor, right? The slash is in his title, which I like. I mean, whatever, <laughs> whatever the title is, reading the piece, it sure seems to me that he's the de facto GM. And again, we'll get to Perry in a, in a second, but, or, or maybe co-GM with Aller? Like, what, what is your impression of, like, what, um, who's making the decisions? Rose is making the decisions, clearly. But, like, yeah. in terms of the basketball. Like, does Ty go to West? Maybe, right? I just, again, here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speculate. I don't know, right? I don't know. But I do know that you will be hard-pressed to find two people more connected and close in the entire NBA ecosystem than Leon Rose and West, right? And that is unique. Again, that's, like, a part where – I don't know, like John Hammond and, uh, and uh, what's, oh my God, uh, Jeff Weltman, who yeah. worked like a bunch of teams that keep switching jobs, right? But I don't even know, how, I don't know what that is, <laughs> but that's like where one takes GM, one takes president and they swap. Um, yeah. It's like that part is unique and Wes's relationships throughout the league and the, con- the connections and where you have a guy coming into a new job, but he also feels like he runs the place. And I'm not saying that because like he runs the NBA, he doesn't actually, but just, it's just, he's just this, you, there is, the word unique is overused. He is unique, a unique character. Like he is literally unique, one of a kind. There's no comparison. So that would be the difference in terms of like, what's the difference. And I'll add this. He's not a scout and he's not a G like, it's not even his background is. I don't know what, like I described Um, him as relationships, right? He's a relationship builder. Yeah. So like here, I'll use a Knicks again. Like Alex Klein was, well, he was, what was he doing? Was he doing reporting? Like there are other people, you have sometimes these like draft insiders who become yeah. that, like at least there's some overlap West. That wasn't it. It wasn't, he was connecting yeah. people. Um, and I don't, I want people to read the piece because it's really good. So I don't want us to go over everything, but man, you have a couple anecdotes here about Wes. <laughs> I'm not, I'm trying to think which, which is 
the the song the the it was Empire State of Mind. <laughs> yeah, Empire State of Mind. I read that. I I read the paragraph. I'm like, wait, what? And then I went read read it again. I'm like, what? What's going on here? I think people, yes. Yeah, so there was a one meeting. So Wes is on all these zoom calls, you know, scattered yeah. zoom calls and I'm trying to remember the exact, but basically one meeting he played uh, empire state of mind. I don't have all the, um, the background in terms of like the pure a to B to C that led to it. But yeah. the idea being, you know, this is what I played. This is what we was played. I believe he was saying that he was there for Kevin Knox's private workout for the Knicks. Yeah. Um, you know, this is what the idea of playing and some, I'm assuming the connection was some sort of, or more than assuming, like the idea being, you know, he'll bounce back some kind of like, you know, I know Kevin, he'll bounce back, whatever. Um, gotcha. and, and, and play the empire state of mind. And the group listened to empire state of mind over zoom. For, I believe, That's a great song. song. <laughs> maybe I should, maybe I should put it on right now. It'll in, inspire us. Um, that's what, what is it? That's what dreams are made. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. been a while since yeah. I've actually heard the song. Um, so yeah, like you said, the West dynamic is really interesting and, you know, to, to kind of look ahead a little bit, you, you, again, you don't, I don't think you actually came out and say this, but my impression from this is that not that this is going to be coming to a head, but like, so you mentioned Randall, like they're better than we, anybody thought they were certainly better. Than I thought they would be this season. They're better than any, any reasonable thinker thought. Um, We've long been told that Rose is was never coming here for a long rebuild. Um, at some point, there's going to be, I think, a moment where these guys have a big decision to make. Whether fork it's, in the road, right? A fork in the road moment. Yeah, like again, I'm asking you to speculate. I want to put it out there, asking you to speculate. Yeah. How do you think that would play out after having reported on this front office? I don't. This, I, you know, I don't think Leon Rose is Sam Hinkie. The process got like five years, right? I don't think that. Um, and I'm a, and I, you know, listen. Everyone around the league has the same speculation. of fans will guess, oh, Leon Rose, CAA, and then he's going to wait for Booker or Mitchell or Ta- and these are like you know fifth removed, whatever. Um, but they're all signed up. Right. So like, I guess, so I get, I mean, I always hear that. I find that funny. Cause like that would have to wait, you know, four years for all these guys. <laughs> like, I don't even know. Yeah. I think only towns more. is towns is three after this year is three years out, but even right. towns is only, and, and he's the only one you could see asking for a trade. I mean, the other two, I mean, you never know. NBA is weird. And like, you know, it's more like the NFL now where things change and every two years, you know, the whole thing turns over. The Suns but are the second best team in the West. But yeah, it seems like, I think we'd be able to be pretty surprised if Devin Booker is not a son and Donovan Mitchell is not a Jazz in yeah. 2024, like whatever year that is, like that would be surprising. Towns, I guess, is the one where you're just like, okay, this could maybe blow up uh, at some point. Um, you know, so yeah, no, it's interesting. I, I don't have a good answer. I, the, I, I, I don't think this is a tanking group. I really don't. I never got the, hello. I never got the impression that this was a tanking group, even in the off season when like they're putting, doing these one year deals. Right. I just never thought that was what they wanted to do. No. Maybe and, and, and the, and the Hayward stuff also. Right. Um, and you reported, and the other name that you reported that was interesting, I hope you don't mind my daughter sitting in for our conversation. Um, the other, the other name that I found interesting was Bogdanovich, who a lot of Nick fans wanted. And Marcus Morris as another guy yeah. that like, <laughs> like, man, I, I enjoyed the Marcus Morris experience for the half a season. I had it. That was enough. But there was, it sounds like there was really a push to do this. Like as a Thibodeau. thing. I mean, Thibodeau for sure. Thibodeau had guys like he, he had a list of people that he wanted to go after. Right. And that was one of them. Um, I don't know if there was the front office. It does. Listen, 
maybe at some point they almost thought of it. Like, you don't have to, I don't need to be someone to tell a Knicks fan. They didn't listen to any of it, right? They went the complete other extreme. They got just all these one-year deal dudes who are not particularly sought after, right? Um, no. So clearly that was the opinion then. Um, was it about the market? Was it, it I, I don't know the why, right? I don't, yeah. I can't, I, I don't know. I can guess. Um, I'm also, it's also clear that like, I think it'd be informed, reasonable guess to say, Maybe the answer is this, right? As I'm putting this together, like relationships matter. So it also depends who, right? If the guy comes available is a Wes slash Leon Rose uh, connects somehow, mm-hmm. uh, they'll pounce, right? I don't know yeah. that, but I think it's, in, it's fair to assume that that seems to be the direction they are going. Well, we're going to find out this summer um, or maybe before the summer because uh, trade deadline's coming up in, uh, what is it? March. Oh, my goodness. About two two weeks from uh, Thursday. Um, A couple more and then I'm going to get you out here. I'm already keeping longer than I said. Um, Okay, I've been dancing around it. Um, Scott Perry's name was mentioned once in this piece. Um, (laughs) In a passing reference, basically, to how dysfunctional. Well, maybe that's there was, I don't know, disparate minds in the the last front office and, and the groups that Perry brought in versus Mills people. Um, It sure does not sound like he has uh the loudest voice in the room right now um so yeah i i don't think he does yeah and i really I, I saw a lot of people you know ch- i check my mentions i'm not gonna pretend i don't i saw that was a uh that was a common thing i i don't want to say definitely he doesn't right i can tell you like the stuff like his name did not come up in that specific those specific things i was reporting my read on it is that i mean i don't think it's so surprising like He's a GM. He knows how to be a GM. He understands the job. He can be helpful for a front office where, again, we're mentioning these are new people, especially Wes and um, Leon have never been in front offices before. There's value there. Um, he's, I believe he's certainly, I'm saying, you know, informed, um, I'll say speculation, you know, I believe with some certainty that like he's in the room, like in, when there's the room and then the room and he's in like the second room, right? You know, like there's the big room of, and then there's the little. Yeah, like him and. Aller and Wes and Leon and you know Walt Perrin. He's like he's in the room, right? Like he's he's involved. Um, but no, I don't think like if he, you know, if he's banging on a table saying I want this prospect, I don't think his opinion's not going to be ignored. But like I don't think that would matter more than the other guys. And I don't like when Knicks fans be surprised about that. Everyone else was brought in by Leon no. Rose, right? These are all the people. I'm like these are all other people brought in. Doesn't mean Scott Perry's not doing anything or is no not playing any role, right? Um, but no, I don't. He definitely, I would say, I'm comfortable saying he doesn't have the loudest voice in the room there. Um, last one, and and again, I I love asking people who do this for a living to speculate because it gets them into trouble. So I'm going <laughs> to ask. I'm going to um, Nick fans, and again, I speak for myself, and I think I speak for other people. Where it's like so many years where for putting aside the product, the product on the floor is evidence of what I'm about to say. But even putting that aside. It's just there's no confidence that the people behind the scenes know what the F they're doing um, and that there's real adults in the room. And I think over the last year, there has been a feeling that has built up that non-traditional or otherwise, there are people that are making decisions that are, have the right to make those decisions. And I think the, the, the piece today, I don't want to say that that's called that has been called into question, but it, it is it is definitely it, it puts a it sheds a new light on it. It's similar, I guess, to what we started with, but a little bit different. Do you, do you still think that like, do you think it's okay for Nick fans to look at what is going on here and be like, there is a chance that this thing will continue to go 
in the right direction based on the leadership that that they have. For sure, for sure. I mean, so and I put like Leon Rose. He's incredibly respected around the league, surprisingly so. And like I say this, I did a piece last year for a website I won't name, but after he was hired and uh, and I remember texting all these guys after he was hired and like talking to all these different people. And, um, you know, what I, I had met Leon Rose a few times. He was Joel Embiid's agent, so writing a book about the Sixers. I had some run-ins with him. Not run-ins. Just Is he a nice guy? Yeah, I found him. Yeah, I found him to be a nice guy. Okay. He's very, um, curious, know. you know, limited interactions. Um, he's very... Um, uh, laid back, or you know, he's got a poker face. I guess you know, he's not revealing much. But yeah, was, yeah, we have had I've had I had good interactions with him, fair interactions. Um, with the uh, Embiid stuff, which some of it was more complicated, was kind of complicated. Um, so, so, but he's incredibly respected. Like people around the league, like from I remember, like you know, analytically inclined assistant GMs to lifetime scouts who hate everybody and are really grumpy, saying like I might be like you know, there's one specific I'm thinking about, but like no, he's really he's really smart, really good. Like that's a really good hire. He's really strategic and smart, and, and it's like so he is incredibly respected, which is um, I'm not gonna say new. That's too harsh, new. But just he's he's a different kind of figure that the Knicks have had at the head. You know, Scott Perry was that a little bit. People like him. I don't know if he was as, um, what's it, not respected, but just uh, it, the like reputation gravitas. was different. Gravitas yeah, exactly. is the word that right? comes from yeah. that. Because yeah. no, people don't have a bad word to say about Scott Perry for the most nice. part. People like him, but it's a different style, different level of stature. He's not on that, you know, it's just different level of stature than Leon Rose was. Um, it's almost like, you know, Phil Jackson was on a level of stature, but people didn't like him, right? And he he pissed everybody off. Yeah, exactly. And people thought what he was, but... It? Yeah, so it's an interesting. So the Knicks have had, not had a guy. It's almost like the Donnie Walsh comparison is probably best in terms of his the perch he the perch he lives on in the NBA universe. Obviously, very different backgrounds, different type of people. But in terms of just yeah, people respect him. They know him. They like him. They think he's smart. That obviously is, means he's doing a different job. I think yeah, there's no reason to think like it can't work, especially like the cupboard's not bare. It's not. And again, yeah. I'm repeating the Randall thing changes the entire equation. It really, really does. Like, and I don't think that can be underestimated. So. If you're telling me, you know, a phrase like this, this super connected, smart GM who has all types of relationships or person, I should say, is becoming a team president and he's taking over a team with a lot of draft picks, a lot of first round picks, a lot of cap room and a bona fide number two. You say, okay, why can't he do that? Right. In a big market where guys want to come like that's, they can make a difference. It doesn't mean this all can't be torpedoed because some of the um, strange internal dynamics or some of the processes could torpedo the whole thing. But you know, again, that's I go back to Rorschach. It really is like, and I kind of wrote the piece, like, you know, go either way. I don't really know. You know what I mean? I'm not really yeah. sure. It'll be interesting. But, like, I really truly believe it go either way. Yeah, I, I've purposely kind of stayed off Twitter today because I knew I knew as soon as it dropped, I'm like, oh, my God. Nick fans are going to be – they're going to be on their therapist couch today. Rationalizing. Well, can, I, can I add one thing? I got to talk to some fans. The idea that I saw a lot of people, like, talking about, like, Thibodeau wanted to trade Randall. And, uh, you know, I had a note in there about, like, he wasn't – I forget how we phrased it. Like, and it wasn't – Oh, the RJ, the RJ Mitch. That was the pearl clutching thing, I yeah. think, for a lot of fans. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, a couple of things. One – this is before, and it's clear. So this was before, when Thibodeau came in before, and I'll be a good reporter, through the Knicks, Thibodeau denied saying any of this. Okay, fine, done. Um, <laughs> Thank but, you for that. <laughs> but, like, if I told you Tom Thibodeau thought Julius Randle wasn't good, and I'm saying wasn't good, that wasn't even the language, but whatever, if I told you he wasn't the biggest fan of Julius Randle, 
before having before this season based on last year like would you find that surprising well if he has eyes last year yeah like I, I, that's the, right the idea that people find that surprising randall was horrendous last year but and barrett too and fans a lot of fans yeah. killed me because i came into this year being like look I'm still hopeful for the kid. He was bad last year. Just, just really call bad. it like it is. He wasn't a good, yeah. you know, so I don't, to me, that wasn't a big debate, but I understand. Yeah, I find that's yeah. the idea that's controversial. Like, so then, and then he got around Randall and he saw he was in shape and playing better. And so he, you know, he, like he had a change of opinion, but the idea that that would, that, you know, he wasn't a big fan of Randall coming in after last year. No shit. Right. He had eyes, like you said, watch games last year. Maybe he saw Julius Randall do a spin move once and said, I'm out. And then like RJ Barrett and Mitchell, if I told you I'm making yeah. up this trade, I'm making it up. No one said, if yeah. I told you before the year, Hey, Thibodeau says, I want to trade RJ Barrett to the Raptors for Kyle Lowry. You would. And like, and he wants to do that. Like that would surprise you. That's the most Tom Thibodeau trade ever. Like this yeah. is just, you know, the idea I would tell fans like, don't that's before the year. That's typical. And again, being the optimist. Okay. And they said, no. And then typical clearly, okay, clearly loves Randall and yep. he clearly loves Barrett based on how many minutes he's playing them. So I wouldn't like read too much into that. Not you, but you know, people. Yeah, no, I just, it was, it, it's because again, this is the, and to borrow a, a phrase from Howard Beck, it's, it's Nick's fan PTSD. We all, I have it. Every, every, everybody who's been around for a while has, it. and you, you're just, you, there's the rationalization. It's like, okay, this and that, and you go back and forth, but look, this is, this is the existence of, of being a Nick fan. And it, it's good to know that the more things change, the more they, maybe the more they stay the same. Um, but we of course hope for the best. Uh, you have been beyond generous with your time. Uh, your own. Could you kindly just do one last thing for me and remind the folks at home where they can find you and, and all your stuff. Sure. You can check out Twitter. We're, uh, we're freelancing these days to so check out my stuff on Twitter. You can buy the book on uh, Amazon or you know, independent bookshop is a good independence, uh, independent bookstore or independent website to uh, independent bookstores to send it there. We have a podcast, White's Men Can't Jump. We, get, we talk about Nick sometimes, stuff like that. I think you guys will enjoy. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers it. If you haven't read the story yet, check it out of the New York Post. Um, is if this is so we're, we're dropping this uh, recording this Tuesday night dropping it on Wednesday morning uh, there's a link to it in the newsletter for anybody who gets the newsletter um, and uh, I retweeted it today it's it's you have to like don't think that because you listen to this you got the full like you have to sit down and read this thing it's <laughs> it's just it's so good it's it, it reads like a story and it's it's great reporting quick break to talk about something very cool from our friends at Brooklyn and um, as you may or may not know, um, my wife and I just had a baby and let me tell you, there has never been a time in our lives when we valued sleep more than we do right now. Um, and you know what is important to getting good sleep is your sheets. And I know myself when I'm like just ready to cuddle up and I'm like, I just need a good night's sleep or a good nap. I'm a big nap guy. As, as you may know, I've mentioned it before. Um, if like, I don't have that good pair of sheets, I'm just, I'm just not going to enjoy it. And life is too short to sleep with anything less than the best sheets. And if you want to get the very best, trust me, go check out Brooklinen. Uh, so Brooklinen 
Started by Rich and Vicky, they've uh, also tried to find beautiful home essentials that don't cost an arm and a leg. Um, and so they founded this bedding company. They work directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the markups. They have a variety of sheets, colors, patterns, materials to fit your needs and tastes. And best of all, they have over 50,000 five-star reviews and counting. I think if you order some Brooklyn and Sheets, you may add your five-star review to that number because – they also have a 365-day money-back guarantee, so if you're not satisfied, you can just send them back. Um, and Brooklyn, of course, is so much more than sheets, comforters, pillows, towels, even loungewear, you name it. Um, go to brooklinin.com, and here's the key. Use promo code FILMSCHOOL to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more, plus free shipping. That is B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, and enter prode. Promo code film school that's F I L M S C H O O L to get $25 off when you spend $100 or more plus free shipping. One more time, brooklinin.com. Use promo code film school. Trust me, you will be happy you did. Now, let's get to the second half of the podcast with the New York Post's Mark Berman. Joining me now on the next film school podcast, um, a living legend. Uh, I sung his praises a lot the last time he was on the pod, but I just can't get enough of it because he has earned the designation a member of the Knicks beat since uh, 1954. Uh, <laughs> Willie Knowles. Did you say, I, I think, well, do you remember Willie Knowles? I don't think so. Um, I don't remember Willie Knowles. He, he came up, I have a true, a Knicks trivia calendar. He, he came up on it the other day for some reason. I maybe like the first Nick to do something. In any case, um, been killing it all year, just like he does uh, every year. Um, the uh, the one and only Mark Berman of the New York Post. Hello, Mark. Hey, Jonathan. Thanks a lot. I appreciate the kind words. But yeah, <laughs> it was actually 1999-2000, yeah. uh, the year after the championship. and uh, Not the championship, but the, the NBA Finals. It felt like a championship. To, yeah, it did. Yeah. It did. Yeah. Now, but uh, yeah, so since then, uh, the Knicks have not been back, obviously. <laughs> not so not so much um you have not gone anywhere though um and actually before we talk about the team uh just briefly want to talk about this year because i i actually wasn't 100 percent sure until we spoke beforehand if you had been going to games um what has uh it been like because uh, you've been going in person you even like you said made a road trip to washington what has it been like covering the team in this uh you know crazy year yeah it's been very difficult i've gone to all the home games but two uh, my backup, Peter Body, went to the uh, to two of the games. I've been at the Garden uh, for the others, and it was very depressing before they let fans in. Uh, the fake noise actually got annoying. It was actually more depressing with the fake noise because mm. it just didn't seem real. I mean, it we felt we were on a sound stage, and they're putting the media up on the Chase Bridge, pretty far away for safety reasons, I guess. We have to show up four hours before the game to get oh, tested wow. at the Garden Theater. Uh, you know, so does Walt Frazier and Mike Breen and Rebecca Harlow. So we're all in the theater getting tested, waiting for our results for an hour. It's quite a long day. Uh, but, uh, you know, we have to be there, I feel, to see the bench. And, you know, one of the advantages, I can see where the executives are sitting, you know, Dolan and, every, and everything uh, where he's sitting, he doesn't sit by the baseline anymore. But since the fans were let in a couple of weeks ago, it's been amazing. I, I was concerned that 2000 fans would not make enough noise and it would be <laughs> even more depressing, just the opposite. 
the fans have been amazing. They come to the garden and it's like a party. It's like the pandemic, all the frustrations of the pandemic, they just let loose for two and a half hours, chanting, especially for Julius Randle. I mean, <laughs> a lot of noise. And, you know, I think they're going to, you know, extend the uh, the number of people uh, at some point before the regular season finale. And really? even louder. I think so. I, I think we're headed in that direction. Uh, I know the Garden would love to see more than 2,000 uh, by uh, the, the regular season finale in May. Um, I think that's one of the things to watch. I mean, God, I'm not going to allow myself to dream quite yet, but like, you know, playoff game in yeah. the garden with, let's say it's 4,000 or 5,000, right. you know, it's going to sound like 50. reasonable estimate. I think. Yeah, no, I think so too. Um, you just brought up a, a bunch of stuff that I want to touch on. Um, let's start here. Uh, you have been doing this since 1999, as you just uh, stated, and you have seen a lot of bad basketball. You've seen a lot of, um, you know, it's the most polite way to put this a lot of dispiriting, um, you know, whatever you call it. like the, the, the aura around the team has often been not what you want. Yeah. This season, it feels like, I don't know if you want to say they've turned a corner. They've, you know, taken a page from the nineties, whatever you want to say. Um, you, I mean, Tibbs was here when you started covering the team right. and, he and he went away for a long time and now he's back. Can you, where would you, I don't want to say rank this season, but like, does it feel real to you? What we all want to, what all fans want to believe, like this is real. They're back. Like, does it feel that way to you in terms of just the, the aura around the team? I think they are for real in terms of a playoff team, but it's such a bizarre season. I don't know if you want to put an asterisk on it, but I think a coach like Tom Thibodeau thrives even more in this setting because the games keep coming at you and he's so well-prepared. He's so experienced. He's 63 years old. He doesn't look it, but he's been around this game forever. And I think for some of the younger coaches who don't have that experience, the the schedule is a bear. And he, he, it was a short training camp. There was no exhibition season. Well, there was a shortened preseason. Yeah. So Thibodeau's preparation is more valuable than ever. Some teams aren't holding shoot-arounds. Thibodeau always either has a shoot-around or a walk-through. Randall keeps talking about the same uh, thing regarding Thibodeau. He prepares every game like it's a playoff game. And it really helps in this situation. And they've gotten pretty lucky with the COVID-19. <laughs> Derek Rose missed the last two games. Frank Nilakina was not in the rotation at the time, and he missed you know about eight, nine days in uh, quarantine. But as far as health, I think compared to other teams, they've been healthy. And that's huge. That's such an underrated factor. But Thibodeau, I think he's very adaptable. And I think this environment has really made Thibodeau even more uh, valuable. And so we'll see. Like, it's a little bit of an asterisk season. So we'll see what happens next season when, you know, the reporters might be in the locker room and there's more distractions. and. Yeah. Like, I think the Knicks love the fact that we're not around, we <laughs> present. We're not in the locker room before the game. We're not in the locker room after the game. And they always talk about how close-knit this group is, and I think they have more time together. When we're in the locker room before the game, we may see two players 
because they don't want to be there when we're there sometimes. It was like Mitch was usually there. I mean, I'm not there as yeah. much as you, but like Mitch was there last year. I'm trying to think who, like Dennis Smith Jr. would be playing around on his phone, <laughs> um, making fun of you. Yeah. Um, occasionally. Albert would come in once in a while. A couple of guys, they would come in and out. We try to get them for a few minutes. But now they're before a game, they're all in the locker room together and there's no distractions or interruptions. You yeah. know, write about that stuff. But I mean, I think that's a little factor too. I once asked Randall, uh, you know, do you miss the media now in the locker room? And he gave a, a polite answer. Hey, Mark, we miss you guys. You know, you guys are part of this and, you know, hopefully yeah. you guys will be back. To be honest, I wonder if the NBA allows us back in Europe. Uh, uh, reporters are not allowed in the locker room. Uh, they have a mixed zone uh, for, for basketball and soccer. United States is where reporters are allowed in the locker room. That's sort of a United States thing. We'll see how the NBA handles it. Yeah, that's hmm. that's interesting because, like, you know, I, I you're a veteran of this is more than anyone. When you're in, maybe not before the games, but after the games, at least, again, me having never done this before, walking in, kind of just feeling out the room, you, you learn stuff. You know, that you can't learn if a player, if they pull a player out and they put a player in front of a microphone and say, here, and it's, it's not it's not the same. But does the NBA care enough about that to make a rule change for next year? I don't yeah. I don't know what the answer is. Well, you say you learn stuff. For instance, Julius Randle, after a game, we get in the locker room, what, 15 to 20 minutes after a game. Yeah. We all dressed at his locker, ready to talk yeah. and ready to get the heck out of there. <laughs> He was yeah. literally the first one to leave. It was a tough season for him. He he didn't feel good about himself. And as a result, he wasn't the leader. I and mean, he's admitted it in all these national. He things. wrote it. He wrote it a, a week ago that I wasn't the leader I needed to be. Yeah. And and I knew that by the fact that he was out of that locker room so quickly after a game. He was by his locker. We Sometimes we would, MSG Network would start the interview before we were able to get inside the yeah. locker room because it's a long walk from the holding pen uh, in the bowels of the garden. But now, you know, Randall is the leader of the team, and I wish that Thibodeau would name him Captain Randall, but that's not what he does. He doesn't bestow, t- uh, give titles like that. He wants to be you know, the head coach and the ultimate leader. Um, He does seem to like to be the guy Uh, you wrote it a few days ago. You know, we'll see if like, look, he he presses his guys hard. Randall said, I don't know if you asked the question yesterday. uh, We're recording this on Monday after the all-star game. Uh, Somebody asked him about his only playing 13 minutes and he's like, I'm fine with it. Um, I, I get the sense that they're going to be fine this season under Tibbs. I think the Tibbs effect maybe two, three years down the line, you know, but I wonder if, if they're set, if they're putting the pieces in place now, and then we could start to maybe transition the conversation towards what's next. Um, I almost wonder, does this front office mind that Tibbs is driving these guys right now? Because isn't the, here's what my thinking has always been this year. The toughest part is getting the ship right. Once you got the ship right, you could figure it out from there. But you know what I'm saying? What do you what do you think about that? I think Leon Rose knew exactly what he was getting in Thibodeau, and he thought he was the right guy at the right time. Uh, some people, some critics of the move said, you know, Thibodeau, maybe for a rebuilding team, it's not a right fit. 
But Leon didn't want to be a quote-unquote rebuilding team. Leon wanted to compete for the playoffs. He knows culture and the image of the franchise is key in drawing free agents or having players list the Knicks on their trade wish list. So he really wanted, especially with the 10-team format, he really wanted to be in the playoffs this season. And by the way, technically, if you don't win the play-in round, you're not, you haven't broken the playoff drought. I've spoken to the league about it. So yeah, if you finish in 10th place and lose in the play in, you're in the lottery. And I was about to say, but you also go in the lottery, which is like, I almost. Right. The the Knicks technically would not have made the playoffs for then eight straight seasons. Uh, But yeah, so Thibodeau set the culture and, Will he wear out the players this season? As you pointed out, probably not. It's a very good group. But, you know, next season, Randall comes back. I mean, he's leading the league in minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you wonder if, uh, you know, after a while, Tibbs can wear on you. And Derek Rose, the critics of Thibodeau say that Thibodeau played Rose so hard that he had those leg and knee mm-hmm. injuries. I mean, I think it's a little, yeah. out, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think those are, those are good questions for probably after the year. Um, you mentioned the front uh, being in the garden is a nice thing to be able to see where guys sit, where the front office is. You snuck something into a column. I think it was last week about how Scott Perry has not, was not around for a bit. I, I didn't imagine that. Right. Uh, that he was uh, down in the G league bubble, I think. Yeah, he's missed the last five home games. And part of it is protocols, but he's been in the scouting the G League. William Wesley hasn't missed a game. And Leon missed the last game. He wasn't in his seat. But I think that was just, you know, that I don't think that was related to any weird thing. But the fact that Scott Perry is not at the games, the last five games, he was, he's been at every game in prior seasons. On the road, maybe so, missed one game for a scouting mission yeah. in college. But it, it was definitely notable that Scott missed five straight home games. All right. So let's see if I can't get us both in a little bit of trouble. Um, there were some articles that came out uh, a week or two ago. I think Bondi had one. I know Ian had one. I think there might be one more that I'm forgetting, which was basically the tenor of them was, hey, let's appreciate Scott Perry for what he did. Yeah. Um, I think I had one too. You, th- yeah. OK. So there we go. How do I put this delicately? Um, it felt for me reading this like, boy, this is a nice little press tour for a guy who maybe might be looking for a general manager position with another team next year. Um, because the Knicks, Leon Rose have brought in all these other people and didn't want to put Scott Perry out by the, by the pasture yet because he needed him. He was the, he was the carryover guy. Am I reading way too much into that? Or what do you what do you think about Mr. Perry's future with the team? Listen, he's on the final year of his contract. Uh, William Wesley is really what Scott Perry was, the this the side man to the president. Steve, you know, he was the sidekick to Steve Mills. And now uh, William Wesley is the sidekick to Leon Rose. And and William Wesley, you know, you talk to people around the league. Leon thinks the world of World Wide West, no pun intended. And if William wants to do something, Leon usually, you know, especially if he 
you know, forces the issue, Leon is going to go along with it. So, yeah, Scott is no longer a top decision maker. He's more of a glorified scout. His future with the team, right, is definitely up in the air. I mean, there's no contract extension uh, being talked about right now. Uh, he was in the G League bubble for a long time. I mean, it's not the, you know, listen, it's very difficult to scout colleges now anyway. Yeah. Uh, you can't even go to college uh, practices, the scouts. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, the front office in general, I mean, the, there's no clear vision from the front office right now. Like Leon Rose hasn't talked to us for almost eight months now. And we'd like to see that. And maybe those articles stemmed from, we're not sure what Leon's thinking all the time. Uh, and Scott Perry signed Randall and most of these players. Uh, they're winning with Scott Perry and Steve Mills's players. And that was the basis of my story and probably the other guys. Well, it's right. It's correct. They are winning with those guys. It's not, you know. Right. The only thing Scott and Steve Mills didn't do, and I wrote this, and what Phil Jackson couldn't do, they didn't hire the right coach. And on the year anniversary of Leon Rose, I said, that's the best thing he's done. He's hired Tom Thibodeau. But in terms of personnel, he hasn't made a big move. He got Derrick Rose because Thibodeau begged him to get you know, uh, Derek Rose. That wasn't a Leon Rose. Like we need Derek Rose. Uh, Tom loves Derek and just feels more comfortable when Derek is on his club. So, and the same with Taj Gibson, I'm told. So those sure. additions were really Tom's. I don't know about the free agent signings. You know, the Austin Rivers thing is so bizarre. Now I know Tom wanted Austin Rivers. And now, you've been all over this Austin Rivers oh my thing. God, it's so bizarre. <laughs> uh, Listen, obviously, Austin hasn't handled it as great as he could. But, oh. uh, but yeah, so uh, back to the question. Yeah, Scott is no longer in the same. He's got the GM title, but yeah. doesn't have the same clout. Um, people will kill me if before you get out of here, I don't ask you about some trade stuff. Um, I've, I've heard, again, I don't have, you hear a hell of a lot more than me. Um, I've heard that they're still looking to actively upgrade um, – either of the guard spots, I think probably point guard primarily. And then, you know, the two right now, Reggie Bullock starting. Um, I get the sense that they are still not in the mindset of we're like all in for this year, because that would be silly. They're not, they're not in that state yet, but I think they are going to approach this. Like, look, if we can make the team considerably better um, without sacrificing anything that we really care about long-term, we're going to do it. And then I think the question becomes like, well, what, what do you characterize as something they care about long-term and what do you characterize as something they don't really care about long-term? Does, does Knox fit into that category? Does Frank fit into that category? Like the de- 23 Dallas pick, whatever. Um, where do you, you know, we have, uh, what is it? March 8th. Uh, so we have about two weeks, two and a half weeks ago before the trade deadline. Um, what do you predict? What do you think is going to happen between now and March 25th? I think a lot has to do with how they play coming out of the All-Star break also. Uh, I think Leon realizes that there's this great chemistry, great camaraderie, a close-knit unit. He doesn't want to do anything that's going to disrupt that. But you're right. They they know they need a talent upgrade, particularly in the backcourt. Uh, as much as Emmanuel quickly has, you know, titillated the fans, they realize he's not like a real true starting point guard. Not he, yet, at least. Yeah. He doesn't have the playmaking skills. He's not an organizer. He he could be a great sixth man or, mm-hmm. you know, playing as a starter, but needs another playmaker with him. 
so he'd be like sort of more in an off guard role, like when he's playing with Derek Rose off the bench. So yeah, they're always out looking for a true point guard as well. Uh, listen, Scott Perry thinks the world of Oladipo. I was a, I was about yeah. to bring him up. The scouts I talked to say he doesn't look like the same player. He's not the same player. The numbers say he's not the same but player. He's, physically, you know. they could see it's 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 not about even the the percentages and the point production. They just look at it and and see that he could be physically struggling. But the guy's still averaging twenty points a game. And the nights they lose, some nights they're so horrific offensively. I mean, they've had some nights where they've shot the ball well from the three-point range, but, you know, they could use – and listen, their three-point percentage is, has risen. Uh, yes. But they've good. been playing some really lousy teams entering the All-Star break. Uh, but, yeah, they're they looking to see what's around, maybe at the buyout market. We'll see if Drummond gets bought out, how much they attack that situation. Robinson is going to get reevaluated any day. So he could be back soon. Taj yeah. had a pretty severe ankle injury, sprained ankle. Yeah, we haven't heard much on that. I'm assuming he's going to be out for a little while. I mean, it's probably a, he. the Knicks get lucky by the All-Star break, you know, having him get to heal. But they were really – they had no centers other than Nerland mm-hmm. Noel, who also has knee issues. Yeah. So we don't want to play him 38 minutes a night, but which, which they've been doing. Right. Yeah. So, but they're coming close to maybe getting healthy. So maybe the drum and even as a rental uh, doesn't make so much sense because they're worried again about chemistry and does he fit with Randall? Uh, but yeah, I think they're going to make a move at the deadline. I, I don't think it's going to be a gigantic move. I think they're pretty happy. I think they're playing with house money right now. They don't want to do anything that could be a little risky. They want a low-risk move that could upgrade the talent level. I think that's uh, that's well said. Uh, last thing before I get you out of here, prediction. Um, give me where you think they, where you think they finish. What what seed do you think the Knicks finish in? Listen, they have a tough start, obviously, yeah. with the four-game road trip, and it's Milwaukee, and it's Philly, and it's Brooklyn, and maybe they still won in Oklahoma City. Uh, but there's so much confidence right now. And Thibodeau did say it's a good time for the break, but I thought they were really rolling. And we'll see how they come back. And do they still have that same momentum? Thibodeau's such a great coach. I think I don't think they're going to finish fifth. Uh, but I think they'll. the key, the, one of the reasons the NBA loves this format is the race for the sixth seed yeah. is the big race. You yeah. avoid the play-in. So uh, I don't think they're going to get top six. I think they're going to be seven, be in the playoff uh, play-in where they have the edge versus the 10th place team. Uh, they have to stay healthy. Derek has to stay healthy. Randall is just an iron man, and I believe he's a durable player. He, mm-hmm. he didn't miss a game last year except when his grandmother died, and he only missed two games, and he came back to the team, and he was very close to his grandmother. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's a seventh place team as long as there's no big injury. Uh, and that's a credit to Tom Thibodeau, who I've already written should win coach of the year because of the dramatic change he made with this franchise. Utah has been rolling for years as a solid playoff team. Obviously they've stepped it up this season, but I just feel this is the year to give it to someone who's made the most change to a franchise, not a, I mean, it's been a leap for Utah, but not as dramatic. Same with the Sixers. It's harder to go from where the Knicks were to where the Knicks are than to go from where Utah was to where Utah is. In, in my 
opinion. Yeah, and Quinn Snyder's a terrific coach. He's fantastic. Oh, he's great. He's great. Dapper is a great coach. Is darn good too. And he's done. He's got so much talent though. I think that shows that Brett Brown sort of underachieved. And it also says a little <laughs> about David Fisdale. Shots fired. Tom, yeah. Well, <laughs> with Tom Thibodeau's performance with these players, I mean, when you're David Fisdale, you're like, wow, this doesn't make me look that great, but. You know, listen, Fisdale yeah. knows that Thibodeau is one of the elite coaches in the game. Yeah. Um, Mark, stick around one sec, uh, but I am going to bid adieu to our uh, listeners. Thank you very much for joining us on another episode of the Next Film School Podcast. Don't forget, if you are not reading Mark, I still read Mark Berman every day. I write a damn newsletter and I still read Mark Berman every day because he's, he's that good. Um, I was about to say, tell the folks at home where they could find you. But if you don't know where Mark Berman is... Um, what, what's your Twitter? Is it just it's Berman? I should I should know. Yes, this. NY Post. NY Post Berman. Long Dash Berman, something like that. Why are you not verified, by the way? You know, I've been trying to get the office to uh, get that done. They said Twitter is not verifying right now. The last several months, when when readers pointed it out to me, I was like, oh, let me get this verified. And then the bosses said that Twitter is on hold. Oh, come on. The, with the with the blue check ridiculousness um all right well anyway thanks everybody for listening to uh mr berman and myself we'll be back with another episode very soon 